are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Happy hump day. Today's episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Today, we actually have a smattering of news to cover from a few Timberwolves draft visits over the past few days. Of course, virtual draft visits that I want to discuss to an article that ranked Carl Anthony Towns as one of the best shooting big men of all time, but I want to critique that list a little bit. And there's also a certain former Timberwolf who somehow did not make the list. And there were also many Timberwolves mentions on one of the most recent episodes of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast that's, of course, can be heard right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. We have plenty to discuss today before we get back into the big board conversation. We will do that later this week as we, I think we're through 16, so um, you know we're, we're getting close to the top 20 on my Locked On Wolves big board 1.0. Of course, we are still something like six weeks away from the NBA draft lottery. That is about the time we'll release a big board 2.0 where I'll go through the list a little bit quicker. We won't spend quite as much time on each player, but I will want to re-rank them based on what we know about the draft lottery and where the Timberwolves will actually be picking in the first round. Also, we'll know if the Wolves will have the Brooklyn Nets pick, which seemed like a near lock until suddenly, um, I mean, quite literally, like a third of the Nets rotation it won't be playing now. The regular rotation won't be playing because of the COVID-19 uh, virus, That, including just recently Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, on Tuesday announced that he was not going to be playing. So um, at any rate, that will all be discussed as we get a little bit closer to the draft lottery in August. Before we get to the, as I called it, a smattering of news today, a quick reminder to please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves. That's at Lockdown T Wolves. Don't forget the T. All right, so let's start with the Wolves draft visit news from the past few days. Um, a couple of these were from last week, uh, but we had a couple of draft podcasts um, here on the Lockdown Wolves feed. So I uh, wanted to make sure that we didn't kind of gloss over some of those. It, it, there aren't that many real pieces of legitimate current news coming through. And so I wanted to make sure that we spent a moment talking about those uh, those draft prospects that were discussed last week in the World Wolves Twitter sphere. Um, Killian Hayes, the uh, wing or the guard, I guess, who's been playing in France, um, his agent was on a podcast and said that Hayes has already interviewed with several teams. That includes the Knicks, Celtics, and Magic. He, This is as of, uh, I guess, the interview was June 30th. So now we're talking eh, eight, nine days ago. Um, he, at the time, was still planning to interview with the Timberwolves and the Warriors. He said, the agent said that Hayes would not be interviewing with Cleveland as the Cavs don't want to draft a guard. Of course, that dovetails with them picking Colin Sexton two years ago and then last year surprising everybody and taking Darius Garland one pick ahead of where the Timberwolves traded up to. Um, Of course, the Wolves took Jared Culver and said they were happy with it, but the rumor was that they were targeting Garland. So it makes sense that the Cavs wouldn't do that for a third straight year, take a guard early in the lottery. But who knows? That's what Killian Hayes' agent says. So it makes sense that the Wolves would be interviewing him. He is somebody who's ranked anywhere from number one on a big, on big boards down to like number 10. One of the more controversial players. There's a ton of similarities between his game and D'Angelo Russell's, as we've discussed previously on this podcast. Um, another interesting name that uh, that's out there, and not certainly not as, a, as the Wolves' first potential draft pick, but uh, later on in the first round or perhaps second round, Cassius Winston from 
the Michigan State Spartans. Any Golden Gopher fans out there have no doubt watched Winston play for, uh, you know, I mean, two times a year for four years with the Spartans. He's only 6'1", and he's a point guard, so he certainly would be drafted as a backup to D'Angelo Russell. But he's being mocked anywhere from the late first round through the end of the second round. Um, He's pretty much always mocked as a pick, but only recently has been kind of starting to get into that top 30, that first round of mock drafts. Um, So he certainly would be on the board for the Timberwolves, almost certainly, with the Nets pick, which should land 15th or 16th and could be on the board at number 33, where the Wolves are slated. Uh, they're basically locked into getting that third pick of the second round. Or, of course, if the Wolves were to trade back in the first round, even perhaps trade their top pick or whatever, pick up an asset trade back. Winston's, you know, the every team that knows what they're doing at all is going to do their research on anybody in a range where they think they might be able to trade back to. Um, and so Winston fits that, you know, likely going to be picked somewhere from that 15th, 16th pick down to 33, where the Wolves have are bookended there with those two picks. So um, there's a lot to like about Winston overall as a prospect, despite only being six, one, he's got a six, five wingspan. He's got really great court vision. He's a very good shooter. He shot 43% even over his four years at Michigan state and uh, from three point range, I should say. And he's, he's really good in the pick and roll, which of course is a staple of the wolves offense. And, and they like guards who can operate in the pick and roll. Um, he's decent defensively. He isn't super athletic. Um, and he's obviously a four-year college player. So he's a little bit older. So the upside isn't massive, but his floor is a solid backup point guard at the NBA level is, is fairly, uh, you know, fairly cemented in place. I think he, he could be an extremely valuable backup almost from day one. Um, of course, we've talked about this previously here that if the Wolves were to take somebody, say, mid first round, if they hang on to that 15th or 16th pick, which is the, which is actually the Nets pick, um, would the Timberwolves consider taking a, a point guard with the intention of them being the primary backup moving on from Jordan McLaughlin or trying to you know play some combination of those guys and perhaps they trade somebody else on the roster? I think if the right prospects available and and again, they're doing their homework on everybody, then the wolves would certainly do that and find somebody who could either compliment D'Angelo Russell's skill set or do something a little bit different than Russell as a change of pace off the bench. So I think that's certainly what they're looking for in Winston. There's a little bit of similarity to their games. I mean, he's not going to be quite as ball dominant and will be a little bit more of a catch and shoot guy than Russell was when he first came into the league, maybe less creative with the ball and and more solid um, than anything else, less flashy than Russell. But um, Winston's a nice pro prospect, and I wouldn't be shocked if he continued to rise in the draft. Um, of course, recently in recent years, guys out of Michigan State haven't exactly had fantastic NBA careers, Draymond Green being the notable exception, but there's been a few uh, players who perhaps have played much better uh, for Tom Izzo in, uh, at, at Michigan State than they did once they hit the league. Uh, you know, take take that for, for what it is, I guess, just, just reporting the facts on that one, whether or not there's a direct correlation between schools and performance in the NBA, that's a whole other podcast and not something we're, we're going to dive too deeply into on here. But I thought it was notable to mention that, of course, the most recent Timberwolves uh, young player, not drafted by the Timberwolves, but a former Spartan was Adrian Payne, who, of course, the Wolves gave up a future first round pick to, to, uh, to acquire him. Um, that was one of Flip Saunders' worst moves as a Timberwolves uh, front office executive. But I digress. Cassius Winston is a fantastic prospect and, and somebody who, again, I wouldn't be shocked if he was a first round pick. So interesting that the Wolves have, have set up that virtual visit or have already had that virtual visit with Winston. That was reported by Darren Wolfson of Score North um, in the Twin Cities. So keep an eye on him as a name, as somebody that the Wolves might potentially be interested in in the mid to late first round into the early second. All right, before we get into uh, talking through 
the uh, the Carl Anthony Towns best shooting big men of all time conversation, let's talk about our great friends at rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible to stock all the parts you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person at the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand that their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody and are reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest prices possible rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear, like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They're a family-owned business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. Go to RockAuto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's for your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. All right, moving on to talk about Carl Anthony Towns' presence on this list, ranking the NBA's greatest shooting bigs of all time. This is a list compiled by Andy Bailey of Bleacher Report. Andy is a reputable writer, somebody who is fairly well known in basketball circles, and not just a random person on the internet. Um, and actually this list, the criteria is pretty impressive, uh, because if you just say that phrase, you know, of course there's plenty of names that come to mind and, and they're basically all on this list. Dirk Davitsky, um, you know, uh, more recently, well, a lot of bigs recently, but, um, guys from the mid range, like Serge Ibaka guys who could shoot threes, like, you know, role player types like Ryan Anderson, um, plenty of people come to mind, but there has to be some sort of criteria. How are you, how are you ranking them? Is it only three pointers? Is it, um, how are you adjusting for era, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, I, first of all, I would encourage reading this article. It was just from the other day, uh, just from this, this past weekend, again, Andy Bailey at Bleacher Report. So go read the article in its entirety. Um, but the criteria without, without going too deep into what it is, or as he called it, the methodology, basically they took, uh, all players six foot nine and up. They played 60% of their career possessions as a power forward or center. So that's how they're defining big man here. And they attempted at least 500 three-point attempts over the course of their career. And then they calculated points over average from the field, subtracting players' effective field goal percentage from the league average for the time, multiplied by the number of field goal attempts, and then points over average from three. So that's the attempt to uh, to rectify the era problem by comparing guys across eras. Um, and then they sorted the group by the average of the rank in the two metrics. So two pointers and three pointers. So it isn't simply three point attempts. It's also taking into account two point attempts and comparing them against peers of their era. So there's a couple of issues with that criteria, which I guess we'll get to that in a second. First, let's talk about the list. Um, the honorable mention spots 11 through 20, which it doesn't say this because they're just listed and, and not ranked. 
but I would imagine that this is uh, ranking them from 20 through 11. So I believe number 20 is Kelly Olenek, but here's the list of 11 through 20. Kelly Olenek, Matt Bullard, Al Horford, Serge Ibaka, Rafe LaFrance, Myers Leonard, Nemanja Bielica, Bill Lambier, Terry Mills, and Mehmet Okur. That is a almost perfect blend of guys from mostly the 90s, other than Lambier, and today. Um, not a whole lot of in between, really, except for, I guess, uh, Rafe LaFrance would qualify as between the 90s and, and now. Um, but guys like Olenek, uh, Myers Leonard, Bielica, those guys are all Ibaka. Those guys are all active now. And uh, just just kind of a weird... I mean, if somebody would have said, name the best 20, the 20 best shooting big men of all time, I don't know that I would have immediately thought of Terry Mills, for instance. In fact, I'm confident that I wouldn't have. Um, but anyways, that's 11 through 20, and we'll get back to that here in a minute. The top 10 counting backwards from 10. Number 10, Pat Garrity, who spent most of his career with the Orlando Magic. Uh, Danny Ferry, Vladimir Redmanovic, Davis Bertans, who, of course, just had a fantastic season, or I guess is still having a fantastic season for the Washington Wizards after spending the first part of his career with the Spurs, but uh, will be a free agent, actually, um, and uh, this offseason. So I guess maybe a name to keep an eye on if you're a Timberwolves fan. Uh, Channing Fry, And then the top five is Ryan Anderson, Carl Anthony Towns, number four, number three, Steve Novak, number two, Matt Bonner, and number one, of course, is Dirk Nowitzki. So... An interesting list, if you take the top 20 in its entirety of stars, whether it be Nowitzki, uh, Towns, um, you could make the argument, I guess really the only other star on this list or player who has been considered a star at some point in their career would be, um, I mean, Ibaka, has, I guess he's never made an all-star team. Um, Horford would be the, I think, the only other one on this list that made an all-star team. Um, so it's not exactly a list chock full of stars. Most of these guys are decent role players and most of them played roles on winning teams. Um, But just a really weird list, quite frankly. Um, I guess my main issue with it in terms of the criteria and and where I think it struggles or or where this criteria struggles is five, well, first of all, 500 attempts, which is again, 500 over the course of each of their respective careers. It's not a super high threshold. Um, And using points over average lowers the bar enough. I think that there's a little, a few wacky results mixed in and attempting to adjust for error by including those league averages again, mostly works. But as a Timberwolves fan, there's one name that's clearly and obviously missing and it's not Kevin Garnett. Garnett was never anything remotely close to, I think he had like one year where he was close to league average shooting threes and he never shot more than like one and a half, almost two a game at the peak of his three point attempt the three point attempts in his career. It was never a part of his game and he was really good from the mid range, but he wasn't effective enough there to outweigh the fact that he simply was never going to rank high enough in three point attempts on this list. The most obvious name missing here is Kevin Love. I mean, the guy essentially revolutionized the stretch for a position. Um, I, I guess obviously not to the extent of Dirk Nowitzki, but um, in today's modern era game, a big that could rebound and could shoot threes, the pick and pop game. Kevin Love was the best pick and pop big man in the game for what, three years? Um, you know, he's like a six time all star, five time all star. Uh, I mean, like Blake Griffin became one of the better passing big men and, and a, a legitimate three point threat 
after Kevin Love was doing it first. I mean, Griffin was better at a lot of other things, but he added that to, to his game because Love was one of the few guys in this era who was a just a straight-up knockdown pick-and-pop three-point shooter. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge added the three-point shot to his game a little bit, but he was always a mid-range type guy. Serge Ibaka, a mid-range type guy. Um, of course, Ibaka's on this list. Aldridge is not. But Love could do it from the mid-range. He could do it from three. You look at Kevin Love's career three-point shooting, he doesn't have very many just complete uh, you know, knockdown seasons where he was shooting well over 40%. But you, you can't tell me he's not in the top 20 big men of all time in terms of, of shooting the ball from deep. He's only had two seasons where he made more than 37.1% of his three-pointers. Uh, both of those, though, he was north of 41%. So he has two seasons over 41%. Again, this is a, a guy who's power forward and actually moved to center primarily in Cleveland when he won a title. He... Over the past 10 seasons, which basically just crops out his rookie year when he didn't play in half the games and then his second year where he was in and out of the lineup and and wasn't really given the green light to shoot threes. Over the past 10 years, Love has shot 5.6 three-point attempts per game. That's almost, I mean, that's that's a full 2.3 more per game than uh, to pick on Terry Mills. Terry Mills, 3.3 attempts per game over his the final seven seasons of his career. So, well, there's a couple of these guys who might have, and the reason why Mills is on this list is because no, there weren't very many bigs in his era shooting threes. So those averages, uh, those uh, margins above league average were significant for him. Um, but Love's combination of volume and consistency, he's always been above league average since he started shooting threes, and he's been over 41% twice in the past 10 years. It has to be enough for him to be on this list. I just don't understand how he doesn't make it. Um, and and he had to have been close. I'm sure if, if Bailey went into you know went to 25, he's got to be in the top 25. Um, but but when Love's not on the list, and I'm sure there's other names. Again, this is a this is a Timberwolves podcast, so I immediately my brain goes to what Timberwolves players could have or should have been on this list. And Love is the guy that comes to mind. Um, I'd love to know how close he was on this list. I guess I could go through and do the math myself um, and see how close he was, but. But that's that's a red flag for me when Terry Mills and Nemanja Bielitsa and Myers Leonard are on a list that Kevin Love isn't on when you're talking about stretch fours and stretch fives and guys who big men who can knock down threes seems a little bit. The methodology seems a little bit off to me. But at any rate, it's a fun article. Go ahead and check it out. I guess I should note rather than just complaining about Love's absence, what uh, what Andy Bailey does say about Carl Anthony Towns in part, uh, the part that's most interesting. He notes uh, Towns uh, isn't just a great three point shooter. He, uh, 43.8% of his career shot attempts have been two pointers between three feet and the three point line. So effectively, I mean, some of those are paint shots in the paint, they're paint twos. But if you say between three feet and the three point line, 43.8% of his attempts have been there. He's made 46.2% of them, which is awesome. Um, of course the, that number went down this last year as the Timberwolves have cut mid range shots almost entirely out of their game. I think they were last in mid range shot attempts, maybe second to Houston this year per game. So those are going to vanish from his game and, and, you know, it's not necessarily a a good thing, but that's one of the reasons why he's on this list. Um, in addition to, uh, to his, his three point shooting prowess. And actually we're going to talk a little bit more about town's ability in the pick and pop pop game here in our, in our final segment, as we get into the Hollinger and Duncan podcast that most recently, um, actually highlighted 
uh, I think there were three Timberwolves players or current or former Timberwolves players who were mentioned in the podcast, uh, two of whom we just talked about in this segment. So we're going to get into the Hollinger and Duncan podcast and uh, that discussion coming up here next. All right, if you aren't familiar with the Hollinger and Duncan podcast, it is part of the Locked On NBA Network. It is one of our national shows that posts weekly. And of course, John Hollinger, the former ESPN executive and more recently former uh, president of basketball operations, I believe was his title, uh, with the Memphis Grizzlies. And of course, John does an outstanding job, provides a really unique perspective as somebody who is on the forefront of advanced stats, uh, I don't know, 15 plus years ago, and then parlayed that into a real live front office job and now is back in the media writing for The Athletic and part of our network with the fantastic Nate Duncan, who of course has been in basketball media for several years now. So the two of them do an outstanding job on their show. Most recently, they've been working on talking through some superlatives of NBA players. Um, and the most recent episode that they did was was really fascinating. Um, they covered quite a few things um, in their hour plus podcast. And there were several Timberwolves mentions. Um, this podcast actually just posted here at the beginning of the week, I think on Sunday. So, um, it was the last podcast that they published, but they talked through, um, among other things, here's a couple, uh, superlatives, um, the most average player at every position, the most likely to coach in the future, the best, uh, the player in the NBA who would be the best NFL player. Um, then the, and then the ones where and there's several other categories, but the ones that involve Timberwolves players, current or former, they talked about uh, good stats, bad team players, both unfairly labeled as good stats, bad team, and fairly labeled. And spoiler alert, there's a former Timberwolf on the unfairly labeled list and a current Timberwolf on the fairly labeled list. There's also a conversation about the best big men in the pick and roll and the pick and pop in today's NBA game. So we'll actually play a clip from that podcast here as part of the segment in just a moment. But I want to start with the uh, the category I mentioned a minute ago. So the unfairly and fairly labeled good stats, bad team guys, or as some might call it, the empty stats guys. Of course, there's been several Timberwolves players over the years that have fallen into that category. Many would have said that about Kevin Love. Some say that now about Carl Anthony Towns. You could argue D'Angelo Russell. Uh, there's been a few guys that that label certainly fit for. I mean, you know, Michael Beasley scored almost 20 a game that one year and received all-star consideration. I mean, there's, there's been several players in relatively recent Timberwolves history who have put up monster numbers or impressive numbers, but not really had that significant on-court impact. So the Timberwolves player who was mentioned as, or the recent Timberwolves player mentioned as a good stats, bad team guy that was unfairly labeled that way is none other than Kevin Love, who we just talked about in the last segment. So he's first brought up as part of the conversation by John Hollinger, who said that he's most fairly, most unfairly maligned. Uh, Nate Duncan points out rather astutely that the Timberwolves, those Timberwolves teams had better point differentials than their actual records and results. And of course, we recently talked about that Rick Adelman year where that, that Wolves team won 40 games and had the point differential of, I think, a 48-win team, which is just insane. Um, and then also the on-off numbers with Kevin Love, just because he was so good uh, offensively. And, um, and John Hollinger points that out great offensively and as a rebounder and outlet passer. So there's a brief mention there. And then the other current one, uh, Nate Duncan and John Hollinger both said D'Angelo Russell. Duncan brought up Russell. Um, 
and Hollinger specified, yeah, this year, because obviously he helped lead the Nets to a playoff spot rather surprisingly just last season in the 18-19 season. Um, this year, of course, with the split between the Warriors and Timberwolves, he had similar stats, but was not an all-star and did not win games. Um, so that's there's a mention there for a current Timberwolf as a fairly maligned good stats, bad team guy. Although we're talking about one year of data. I mean, he, he put up some fairly good stats for some bad Lakers and Nets teams previously. Uh, but a lot of that went away when he helped lead a, a Nets team with no true superstars, uh, you know, a bunch of very good players, Spencer Didwini, DeAndre Jordan, um, you know, among other guys, obviously D'Angelo Russell, who did make the all-star team that year. Um, but, you know, we're talking basically uh, based off of this season, um, putting him in that category is a little bit unfair, but, you know, I get it. Um, so there's a, a couple of Timberwolves mentions there. The other one that I want to get to before I play the clip is uh, a conversation about uh, the most average players in the NBA. And rather surprisingly, D'Angelo Russell comes up in this conversation too, which, you know, there's a lot of ways you can describe D'Angelo Russell. Uh, I don't know that the most average player is, is the, I guess, the superlative that would come to my mind. Um, so this is such a weird conversation and an interesting one. And obviously these guys know what they're talking about, but listen to the Hollinger and Dunk. It's actually the first, the first segment of, of that show of that episode. But Hollinger brings up Lonzo ball and Ricky Rubio's two of the most average league average starting point guards, which is about right. I mean, Rubio's basically always been somewhere between like the eighth and 15th best point guard in the league average to slightly above average, never really seriously in all-star consideration, but he's always been a starter and everybody's always kind of been like, yeah, he should be a starter. Um, and that's kind of been Rubio's career. Uh, Nate Duncan brings up Shea Gilgis Alexander, Spencer Dinwiddie, Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and then Hollinger mentions Mike Conley, uh, which is fair given where he's at now in his career. Um, and then D'Angelo Russell is another name that he mentions if he tries on defense a little more, which implies that Hollinger does not think Russell is an average player in his current state if he doesn't try on defense, which is fascinating. And, and I guess the advanced stats kind of bear that out, that he is a fairly average player and he probably shouldn't have been an all-star last year. But I think his offensive game is so impressive that that clearly there's a belief uh, by Gerson Rosas, especially that if a mini leap is taken, he's a true superstar. Um, and, you know, James Harden was better than average when he came to Houston, but he wasn't a superstar. And there was, there was a little bit of a leap there. I do, I do not think, and I don't think that Rosas thinks that Russell's going to become James Harden, become a league MVP, become one of the best five or six players in the league. But if there's a mini jump like that in there, if there's some buy-in, if there's some good players around him, if he tries defensively, then I think he's he puts himself out of the good stats, bad team, and the most average player in the league conversation, which I, I think there's some irony in him being in both of those conversations in the very same episode of a podcast, but um, but there we are. All right, the one other Timberwolves mention is Carl Anthony Towns, both as the one of the best role men in the league, as well as arguably the best pop man. I think, actually, I think both Duncan and Hollinger agree that he is the best pop man. Um, the other name that you'll hear mentioned is Danilo Gallinari as one of the very best at that. Um, but I'm going to play that whole segment where they talk pick and roll, pick and pop here so you can hear where Towns falls into both of those uh, conversations. So um, here's that conversation from the Hollinger and Duncan podcast. Okay, let's do, uh, let's do some uh, more specific skill-related ones. Sure. Well, t- let's talk about pick and roll here. Let's start with the best role man in the NBA. Best role man in the NBA. Uh, so three guys immediately come to mind for me. Uh, 
Giannis Antetokounmpo, Anthony Davis, and Zion Williamson. And again, the gravity of their role is so strong. The skill to finish, even if you're there contested, is there. And then in Giannis's case, the ability to make the pass out of that too at a really high level makes him such a threat. So I'd, I'd, I'd probably, be, I mean, even though he rarely plays as a role man, I'd probably put Giannis number one. Like the threat of him on a roll is terrifying. I would put AD up there just because he does it more. I think he's got more reps, more understanding of how to screen, uh, how to get to open spaces. He also adds the ability to pop or roll, which uh, can confuse the defense. I, I like having yeah. that versatility. That's true. There. Uh, I mean, I know we're going to have a separate pop man, but if you're just saying, who do you, who do you want setting a screen for your guard? And then also, I mean, I think part of it too is just, he also has the ability if you switch it to go mash that guy in the post if you yes. need to. I mean, Giannis, Giannis and Zion could do that too. Uh, but, and AD is just an awesome alley-oop threat. Uh, yeah. You know, a little, a little more fluid on that rim run than Giannis is. Yeah. 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 Good hands, good touch. And he has also really improved his passing. So to me, my personal opinion, I think it's by far him and it's not even really close. Uh, as a number two, because that's his, that's also his primary role, which it isn't for, yeah, for those other guys. That's fair. Uh, couple, yeah, go ahead. Couple honorable mentions. Sure. Uh, Montrez Harrell, uh, yeah. DeMontis Sabonis, uh, John Collins and Clint Capella. Yeah, Collins is another guy who can roll or pop, which is nice. Uh, Sabonis isn't going to go get you an alley oop, but he can make decisions. He's got good hands. Still a, a solid finisher. I think Rudy Gobert's got to be up there too. He's a, a good screener. And, and then, and the uh, gravity of his role is so strong. Right. He, and he, he sprints into his role every time. He doesn't get tired of setting screens, even though that's all he does in Utah. Sets the most ball screens in the league. Mm-hmm. Carl Anthony Towns got to be up there too, even though it's more sometimes as a pop guy, but he's just so skilled. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good role men in, in today's uh, day and age. But yeah, I think I think Davis to me is well above uh, everyone else because he can do basically every single thing that you would want to do as a role man on a high level. And he also, I mean, when you just look at the usage rate that he has, like nobody else is able to get that high of a usage rate doing just a lot of pick and roll. I mean, he'll post up sometimes, he'll do transition, but uh, he just is able to find the open space. Yeah, I mean, it's just the fluidity of it with him, like the speed yeah. he does it with and the fact that you can throw the ball almost anywhere and he'll get it uh, really takes the danger to another level. Yeah, really good hands, too. Uh, best pop man, best pick and pop man. So, yeah, and here's – so I had two guys very clearly at the top uh, who were Danilo Gallinari and Carl Towns. Where Gallo, huh? Is he really – is he doing that much? I, I guess I just thought of him as too small to really – be in there to me i so the reason i thought of him is because if you run pick and pop he can definitely knock it down but if you switch it he can he can he can go ahead and attack that guy and get himself to the line not maybe not as effectively as towns does but then the other thing is if you close hard he has the ability to make you pay as a driver as well where some of these other pop guys uh you know the, the latvian dynamic duo right up uh, Porzingis and Bertans, you're, you're looking more at their straight pop guys, but the, the threat diminishes when you talk about them posting up or them doing a show and go. Gallinari show and go is a real thing. You know he's going to draw a foul somehow. Um, and then Carl Towns is just so skilled across so many dimensions that I think he has to be right up there at the top. Yeah, he was my number one. The 
I did default to guys who can play center because it's just more effective if your center is pick and popping than your four to me because yes. you're you're less likely to be able to switch it and then you also don't have another center on the floor who is then has someone guarding him who could be in help position on any mm-hmm. drive or anything. So um yeah, I think Carl Anthony Towns is the highest and then also the added dimension that he can roll to the basket. He can drive a uh, decent passer and you know maybe maybe just had the if it had been a little bit longer, would have had the best shooting season by a big ever um, from three-point range at least. And then I thought uh, Porzingis was still on there for me. The lack of a drive game is a problem, but he's got such deep range and he's so tall that it's really you're, you're going to struggle to contest it. He is switchable, though, so that's a little bit of a problem there. Uh, and then Jaron Jackson Jr., your former charge in uh, in Memphis. Oh, how did I not think? How did I not write? <laughs> I blew that one, man. All right, I thought I'd finish that on uh, on Hollinger forgetting about one of the guys he uh, he had a hand in bringing to Memphis and Jaron Jackson Jr. But there you have it. Uh, Towns is brought up as one of the better role men in the NBA and probably the best pick and pop man in the NBA, at least in terms of being a three point shooter, as he almost always pops up beyond the arc these days, at least. Uh, but a uh, a good conversation. Both those guys obviously recognize how offensively skilled Carl Anthony Towns is. And uh, really just kind of a fun podcast uh, if you're trying to get yourself back ready for NBA basketball, which of course starts in Orlando a little bit later this month. And potentially, who knows, in a few weeks, we'll be talking Timberwolves basketball in Chicago and the Chicago bubble that is being discussed. Of course, more just in scrimmage uh, format than actual real games like will be happening in Orlando. But at any rate, it's a good podcast to get you back in the mood for some NBA basketball and talking through some uh, some interesting categories with a couple guys who know their stuff. So go ahead and give that podcast a listen again. It just posted earlier this week on uh, the Hondra and Duncan podcast. So wherever you listen to your podcasts, check that one out. Be sure to subscribe to it and uh, and listen moving forward as those guys do a fantastic job. All right, that's all we have for you today here at the Lockdown Wolves podcast. Thanks once again for listening to the Lockdown Wolves podcast. Of course, part of the Locked On NBA Network, your team every day. Later this week, we'll get back into the big board and we'll talk more draft and any other Timberwolves news that crops up. In the meantime, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On T Wolves. That's at Locked On T Wolves. Don't forget the tea. And also, once again, thank you uh, to rockauto.com for sponsoring today's episode. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Now, tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NBA. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.